That just happened. Welcome to this Thursday episode of the State of the Nova Nation, where not only do we figure out what's going on with the cats, but we also figure out our lives and go through this existential crisis. I'm Eugene Repay, and he's back in action. He's Chris Stanzial. Chris, welcome back. You had a nice little day off. Yeah, uh, I was how, able how are you to, holding up? I was, I was able to escape the prison cell that Brendan had captured me in. And then I escaped just in time to get home for the second half of Villanova Penn. And my oh my, what, what, what the heck did we just watch? Yeah, you know, we had a little bit of a cool down period. How are you feeling? Uh, I, I, <laughs> I was mad during the game. But then after that last possession, I just found it funny almost because of just how poorly that went at the end in like a sick way yeah it was a sick yeah it was just like a sick maniacal laugh i kind of had after after the game and i'm just like really guys i mean Penn deserved to win that game from the get-go it was very apparent but the fact that villanova was even in the game at the end and had a shot to to it was the tie, right? To, yeah, it's a tie. To yeah. tie. So, and then they drew that up, and on top of, you know, taking out Javon Quinterly to put in D- DCR, who does not have a three-point prowess, was just absolutely, absolutely amazing to me. Yeah, there are a lot of things to unpack with this game. We're going to go into that last possession later on, but just looking at the game as a whole, Penn won 78-75. Nova's record 25-game Big 5 win streak is officially dead. The Cats took their first loss against one of those Philly schools since 2012. And, of course, it just happened to be the last Big 5 game of the year. Mm-hmm. My sister is a Penn senior. She hasn't stopped blowing up my phone. <laughs> I've been tagged in, like, 5,000 different Facebook posts. Talking trash, and I told her, you know, totally, totally relish in it. Totally relish in it. Happy senior year. Nova, as you said, had the chance to tie in force OT. But, unfortunately, Phil Booth's shot was just absolutely smothered he was covered from the get-go by two or three defenders and his game tying three attempt was just short of the basket colin gillespie though he had a nice game 21 points three of four from deep 10 for 11 from the free throw line four rebounds two steals booth he had 18 points but he was only six of 15 on the floor sadiq bay had 13 eric pascal finished with 10 and then for penn they had five different guys in double figures you had Antonio Woods and A.J. Brodeur. They led the way with 16 apiece. Devin Goodman and Jake Silpy had 11 each. And then Michael Wang coming in, adding 14.6 boards. He looked pretty good as a freshman. And overall, that whole Penn team, honestly, looked pretty good. I think the fact of the matter is the Quakers just flat out executed better than Nova throughout the whole game. Oh, yeah, especially on the offensive end. Man, did they have everything working backdoor and every slip screen and every every movement, it felt like. Any off-ball movement, Villanova could not match on the defensive end. And it wasn't just the freshman blowing assignments. You had Swider, who blew a pretty big one. I remember it was just like a complete mental lapse. Samuels missed a, a couple underneath the basket. But like Eric Pascal was running around like a chicken without the head underneath the basket for a good chunk of the game. I was like, what are you doing? How is a senior leader like that getting punked on, on defense? I, I wouldn't have expected it. I was just, I was completely shocked by that. They definitely executed it on offense and on defense too. They did a pretty good job on, on uh, Phil Booth for sure. We can discuss how he's been playing, but they, they did a good job overall. I felt like. Yeah. Offensively, they shot over 51% on the floor. Clearly had a variety of guys going in a variety of ways. Just between the off-ball movement was just a work of art. 
And it seemed like whenever Nova would finally get a shot to fall, Penn would come back with one more. Or whenever Nova would get the stop, Penn would get a stop. And it just they just completely dominated Nova in almost all phases of the game. I mean, look between the way that Penn was able to shoot and just do basically whatever it wanted, especially in, in the second half. Nova was flirting with man-man defense, switched to zone. That wasn't helping and just didn't have an answer for the Quakers coming down the home stretch. Somehow, someway, got within a puncher's chance of taking the game or even forcing it into overtime. I don't know how. It felt like we should have been down way more. But when you look at this game, Nova got out-rebounded 35-22, to which I did not expect to happen. No. I expected Penn to execute offensively. They're, you know, In terms of efficient field goal percentage, they were top 12 going into that game. And Steve Donahue did another great coaching job. Mm-hmm. What stood out to you from this game? I mean, if you want to go like individual wise, I mean, I brought him up already, but Phil Booth, man, like I, like you said, like I, I, he had 18 points, but God, it was just, he was just taking some really weird shots. Like a lot of bad threes. I felt like a lot of drives to the basket where he just got stopped in the middle of the lane and would just pivot until he had to pass it out. Or one time he dribbled into three guys when like Villanova really needed a basket. Like it was like a five point game. And then he just dribbled into three guys, turned the ball over. That was pretty big. And then like a, a lot of his threes, especially toward the end, he, he was more interested in drawing the foul than he was in shooting the ball. It's, I, I didn't really understand that. He, he's got he's to figure it out soon. Because if he's, if he's not going, this team isn't going very far. We've been saying it all year. And we under, like we, we've been harping on it all year too, that he's playing a little bit too much hero ball. But he's got he's to gotta figure it out. He can't be dribbling as much. He's got to be off the ball. He's got to have someone create a shot for him. I trust him if he has the open shot, but he cannot be doing what he's doing right now. That that was pretty uh, upsetting to me, as uh, to see the senior leader, you know, kind of take a step back like that. I mean, same with Pascal. Like I said on defense, he was a little. It seemed a little off, and even on offense, he wasn't all that great. I thought he could have been able to dominate a little bit more, especially against an Ivy League school. But you know, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. And yeah, he only took five shots. Yeah, I, it felt like he was like they were just like throwing him in the corner for whatever reason. I didn't, I didn't really understand. And then he didn't really get involved. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, but if you want to look at a more positive thing, Colin Gillespie was the only reason why Illinois <laughs> was in this game. I felt like he was absolutely fantastic from beyond the arc, three or four from deep. As I said, he was actually the only one hitting freaking free throws the other night. I mean, my God. I, Penn was bad from the free throw line too, but our guys, <laughs> you got to hit them. You got to hit them. And especially what it was, it was Booth and Pascal missing a, a good chunk of them too. Games. And then Joe Cremo too. Like that was kind of a, a wasted effort. I, he had like four quick fouls, sat down for a bit, came back in, and then like committed that horrible fifth foul on a, on a, play that if you know Villanova got the ball the, the momentum could have shifted there it felt like Villanova was starting to creep in and actually had a chance to tie and he just committed that stupid push in the back and uh, I, I didn't really get what was going on with him either well I he missed like a wide open three too like wide open like completely hit the side of the back but not beside the backboard he hit the backboard he didn't even hit rim well to his credit I will say that the refs were not helping I'm not saying no, that that's yeah, why yeah. Nova lost but Jesus right. they were calling everything yeah, there was no flow to that game whatsoever because of that. I, that I'll give you. The refs were atrocious, but it was yeah, it wasn't the reason why they lost. Yeah, when Nova got off to that bad start, 
and then they were covered with the big run. I was like, okay, 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 new game, new game. We, we're we're going to get this. But unfortunately, Penn just did what they needed to do, just controlled the game. Nova didn't have an answer. But somehow, somehow it, they had a comeback. Had a it didn't comeback. really feel like a comeback, but it was a comeback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they clawed their way back in it, for sure. That last possession. All credit to DCR doing a very smart, instinctive play in not <laughs> touching <laughs> that deep inbounds pass. Now, at first, when I saw it, I was like, wait, whoa, whoa. what are you doing? <laughs> because it's so uncommon. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were saying the other night that we we've never seen that on any level. Yeah, it seems like you you in, instinctually grab the ball and you heave it, if anything. Yeah, but the the awareness to actually let that ball go, it, that, that's just just great. I, I don't know what you chalk it up to, but it's just a great play, a great mental play. I I don't know if that was a coaching thing, if they said it in the huddle before, but great idea because it gave him the fighter's chance at the end. So with that, Nova has 1.5 seconds to put up or shut up. Last play of the game, my mind was glued on Phil Booth because he was doing a lot of movement, and you can kind of tell he was the only one really hanging around the three-point line. And he gets the ball in the corner, which is exactly what Penn wanted. Had two two or three guys already there to meet him, trap him, and give him zero shooting space. DCR, as you said, went in for JQ. I'm not sure why, because he's not a three-point shooter, and we needed a three. Eric Pascal was doing a cut towards the basket. I'm not exactly sure what was going on in that play. Clearly, it was not the game-winning play. It was not the play that Nova needed. So, Chris, I'm going to give you the clipboard. Yeah. What would you have drawn up on that last play? (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, I I don't know if I have a specific play in mind, but leaving – I know Pascal can shoot a three, and I know Swider can too. But, like, everybody on that floor kind of knew the ball was going to Phil Booth. <laughs> and it, it showed because he got triple teams. And they were honed in on him so much that you would think that they would kind of space it out a little bit. But they, they let him into the corner. And I'm like, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? No. Why? Why? <laughs> well, you're, put, you're put, making it even more of a handicap. I didn't really get it whatsoever. I, I would have left JQ in because at least it's another option. You gotta at least you gotta respect the ability to shoot a three. Throwing DCR in, it, it was just it was pointless. It was absolutely pointless. What is he gonna do? You, you can't get a rebound and kick it out. There's no, not enough time left. And he was standing at the top of the, the key. I mean, he wasn't even there to like set a screen at, at all. It, it didn't make any any sense. And it was just so bad. It made me laugh. It was that comical. Uh, whatever Jared was thinking, I think Nova needed to put all five. Every single person, we there was one point five seconds. You're not getting a rebound. No, it's just not happening. There, there's no chance. There's no second chance. You need to take and make the shot right away. We needed all five guys. At least, if you're not going to be a shooter, we needed one guy sending a pick to free someone else. There needed to be. It really felt like a two man play, and that in that. There was the inbounder, and there was Phil Booth, and then there were three guys on the other side of the floor not really in good positions. And not everyone was a three-point shooter. Granted, I know that Joe Cremo fouled out, Jermaine Samuels fouled out, but that's when we needed JQ. We did not need DCR in that last 1.5 seconds. No, you're right. And I understand that Jay was kind of handicapped there because, like you said, there was no Gillespie, no Samuels, no Cremo, but – 
you got to make do with what you got. And throwing out a guy who has he even attempted a three-pointer yet in his career out there made absolutely no sense. No sense. And everybody knew where the ball was going. And to the fact that you let him into the corner, that the play ended up being into the corner is just ludicrous. But, you know, it, it is what it is. I, and honestly, you know, as bad as that was, I, I kind of want to discuss this with you. The, that didn't even aggravate me the most. What aggravated me the most was on three separate occasions, Villanova went down, uh, was down four points and went down the court and decided to hack up a three. I wasn't a big proponent of that because I wanted to go for the quick two. Maybe you get the foul. Maybe you get an and one. But let's say you don't. Know, let's say you just hit the two. Then you foul Penn, and you can at least you know get into a free throw battle with them, and they were stinking all night from there. Now, I understand that you know it, 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 law of averages would have kicked in and they might have started making them, but they were, they were 50% at that point in the game when there was like – 40-something seconds left. Why, why not get into a free-throw battle and put the pressure on them to hit their free-throws on, on a lesser talented team? I don't know what you thought about that. Oh, no. I, I was totally thinking the same thing. Uh, you know, you brought up earlier how you were frustrated with Phil Booth shooting for the sake of shooting. Not for the... Of course, he was probably trying to make it, but it looked like he was doing the James Harden thing where he was just concerned with drawing the foul. And when that happened a couple times with about a minute to go, Nova had some time. It was like a four-point game, two-possession game. I In the beginning, if the three wasn't falling, you kind of had to adjust and just be aggressive, especially with the way that the refs were calling the game, calling everything. So I would have loved to have seen them been way more aggressive, take it to the whole finish. If you don't, hopefully you draw a foul. If not, you get back. But the way that at the end it was, it just became – uh, let me try to draw three three free throws and let me try to do it this way. It's not going to get called most of the time. No, it's not. And and most of the time it was pretty blatant that he was just sticking out his leg. I will give him, though, the one time he did hit a three and didn't get hit late in the game, I, I thought that was an and one. I thought he should have been going for a four-point play there, but they didn't call it. So And it was because the reason why they didn't call it was because he was doing it all night, sticking out the leg. So they didn't even give him the benefit of the doubt there. So he kind of hand he kind of screwed himself <laughs> because he was doing it so often. It, I just uh, I, I wish the, the end of the game management was better, and it it probably wouldn't have come down to the stupid draw drawn up play. Maybe Penn goes down and misses their free throws. That if Villanova goes down, hits a two, and then Penn makes both their free throws, then I'm okay with shooting the three. That's fine because now you're running out of time. I'm okay with that. Maybe if you want to do it again for another possession, do the two thing. I'm fine. Then you want to shoot the three, okay. But the fact that you just immediately went to the three, especially when it wasn't falling all night, didn't make sense. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. And that it it seemed a little rushed. Like all those late threes at the end, it, it just there wasn't really move. It was just kind of pull up <laughs> way downtown, and hopefully this either goes in or I get called, or they get called for a foul and I get to shoot free throws. But that didn't happen. Yeah, I mean the first the first uh, bad three ill advised three was actually from Gillespie, who was actually feeling all right. He was actually shooting pretty all right for for the day. So, it, but it seemed rushed, like you said. It just it was like a pretty deep shot, and like I felt like if they kind of created worked the ball around, and maybe created a shot, it would have been better. Like I would have been more okay. I would have been okay with it. I guess I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> Still, I think they should have just gone for the two. I think it's that simple. 
that Gillespie three, which would have tied it, if I remember correctly. I know it's exactly which one you're talking about. It was, it was the one three that he missed all game. Missed all game. Mm-hmm. I was yeah, a big fan of that shot. It seemed like a pretty good look uh, with the way that he was shooting the three. It seemed like he was the only one going. I thought it was going to be good, but then it planked off the right side of the rim. He was having a great game, so I guess if if you want to play the three game, I'd rather have him doing it, have him shooting, than Phil, who's, like we said, is more interested in drawing the foul. Yeah, just running down the ladder real quickly. Gillespie, amazing game, great game. Back in Philly, he seemed very comfortable in the palestra. As for Pascal, only five shots. Would have loved to see him more aggressive. I think the teams are starting to figure out how to deal with him, and that's not a good sign. They're double-teaming him in the post, and then it's pivot, 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 pivot. He needs to hit up Daniel Chefu, get some big man passing tips, because there are a few guys in the perimeter that are wide open. Doesn't seem like he's seeing them as he's pivoting and in the way that Chef used to which I thought was pretty nice with the way that Pascal is. If he's not going to go up strong or get trapped into the point where he is forced to pick up the ball and pivot, he's got to become a better passer out of the low block. And that's one thing that I hope develops. Phil Booth, we already went over it. Sadiq Bey, I didn't think he was that bad. The, my one gripe with him was he's only a freshman, but he needs to go up stronger with the ball. I there is no yeah, way no I way. thought that he could have taken these pen boys to work and I would have loved to see that but instead he would drive inside and then maybe stop pick up his dribble and then go face up and then fade away which I was not a fan of yeah he had there was two big shots like that especially toward the end one he made and one he didn't and one that he didn't kind of gave not it didn't give the game the pen but it, it kind of gave the momentum back to pen because that was when they were kind of going back and forth stop for stop basket for basket but then pen went down i forget if they hit the free, they made the basket i think or it was free throws i don't remember but then yeah they went philanova went down the court and then bay did that fadeaway shot and then drew it long and then Penn got the ball and then was basically able to control the game from there on out completely agree with you he's got to he's got to be a little more aggressive and you know, he has a good shot, I feel like. He, he has been shooting pretty well so far. I, I, I don't have a problem with him shooting and doing the fadeaway stuff. I think that's a nice part of his game. But I do agree that he should go up strong and, and make it easier for himself. And the way the game was getting called, you were probably going to get fouled. It was going to get called a foul, and you probably would have gotten to the free throw line. So Yeah, and then just continuing down the rest of the way, DCR only had two points, two boards. I would have loved to see a bigger presence from him. I was a little... Disappointed and pretty underwhelmed with how he did. Joe Cremo, he didn't make those threes. He had, he had two misses, but the way that he can actually work it inside has actually been a pleasant surprise. I was a little disappointed and felt like he got a little too frustrated out there with the way that the game was being called and quickly got those five fouls, which was a little unfortunate. But the way if he could be a complete scorer, I'm all for it. He did have that one really bad turnover. Jermaine Samuels, he had possibly the one highlight play that uh, for Villanova with that post riser over two guys. But unfortunately, the defense, he just got cooked. It was especially yeah. when he had that nice slam, it was sandwiched in between two terrible, terrible defensive possessions. Yeah, that was part of that four possession stretch for Samuels, which was just up and down. And on defense, he lost his man on a slip screen, which led to an easy bucket for Penn. Then he went down the court and did the Kale Bridges impression with the extended go-go gadget arm dunk. 
Then on defense, he was uh, too busy doing push-ups at the top of the three-point line. And as a result, two guys on the weak side were wide open for threes. And Penn went down and hit a three because of it. I mean, he, he did slip. It wasn't like he completely lost his guys, but still, it didn't look great. And then he went back down on offense and got a big offensive rebound and kicked it out to Phil Booth, who did hit a three. So very polarizing from Jermaine. I mean, obviously we're looking for more consistency from him, but I felt like he just wasn't able to get going because he was in foul trouble too. So let's kind of take this loss and now put it behind us because we got a big foe coming up this weekend. Now, this is a deflating loss. This ended that big record-breaking streak, 25 games. If Penn wins out, they'll win the Big Five title. With the way that they played on Tuesday, they have Temple and St. Joe's left. I think they should go ahead and do it, but if they do end up losing one of those games, then Nova and Penn will split, so that'll mean six straight Big Five titles for Nova, the 27th overall, but it will depend on how Penn does for the rest of the way. Now looking at Nova, this team was doing better in a wins and losses standpoint. Came back with six straight wins before losing on Tuesday, but let's put the record aside. Aesthetically, do you like where this team is headed? Do you like how it's looking, or do you feel like the ceiling should be higher and it just feels like they're never going to reach it. Oh, man, I I don't know. I think we I think we have to just readjust the ceiling as as fans because I, I feel like we're going into this year. I think we kind of took it for granted that this team was just going to you know win win their non con games outside of Kansas, you know, and go in the Big East play win the good majority of those twelve to fourteen games, and you know same old same old and go from there. But we obviously knew there was a dip in talent. I, and I think it's just because we've just been spoiled as fans recently. But it's so like to say that they're not going to hit their, I don't think they're going to hit their ceiling in that regard. But I think if you, you readjust and look and say, hey, this team obviously isn't as good as years past, but you know, we got some young, exciting prospects. Gillespie's showing signs of maturity. Uh, DCR is looking like a, a beast inside now. You know, Jermaine Samuels actually might be the real deal. We don't, we don't know, but it's it's looking likely now. Hopefully, hopefully, we're praying for it. You know, Sadiq Bay has been a pleasant surprise. You know, Swider, he looks like he can shoot the lights out on a good on a, any day. You know, and we obviously haven't seen Slater Quinterly, but then you have next year's class coming in. So, I think we have to readjust our expectations as fans. So, to say, I, I'm a little bit disappointed so far. But I'm not. I won't. It, it's not so much. How do I say it? It's it's not so much that I'm like mad because like you know this team's losing. It, it's just that the fact that it hasn't been like a consistent improvement throughout the year. Like like we see them go out and beat Florida State and like actually look like really good, and then they do this against Penn. It's just so up and down. And I think as a fan, we we are we aren't used to this. As fans, we aren't used to this. We aren't used to this team being up and down it seems like every year it's like okay we have we start with what we know from last year and then we improve upon it and it gets better throughout the year this year it's not so much that it's been you know we start okay we start we look okay and then we look terrible and then we look good and then they look terrible and they look good and they look terrible it's it's a lot of ups and downs and i think as a result this roller coaster thing is kind of freaking me out a bit but like so far it's been a little bit disappointing, but to say like it's a like a lot of people out there are, like saying like oh this is like 2011-12. No, it's not. It's not like that. Not even in the slightest. This team is young. 
we got to improve. I will say that the seniors have been disappointing. That's been a little bit of a drawback. And the fact that, you know, JQ's not playing. But other than that, I, I think everybody's shown better than what we expected them to be. So I guess there are positives there too. So Nova's got two non-con games left at Kansas this Saturday, and then UConn at MSG on December 22nd. Then they'll have a little break before starting Big East play. It's Christmas season. If you could put one thing in this team stocking that they could magically develop or a trait that they could have for the next two games ready to go in time for Big East play, what would it be? What area of this basketball game? A true point guard. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? Wow. Wow. Yeah, we're going to talk about that, aren't we? Eventually. But yeah, I think uh, this team needs a point guard. A true one, a real ball handler. Number two would be a, a very solid defense that knows how to switch and not blow any assignments. What, what about you? What about if you were playing Santa here? Where would you put in their stocking? Yeah, see, first I was going to say uh, defensive execution, but I'm honestly leaning towards more consistency. I think the whole, even there, there have been great wins for, you know, you, you said the Florida State game as an example. That was a great win. But then there were the first two big five games where even though Nova was winning, or they did win, it wasn't exactly the greatest performance as for the team. It wasn't great execution-wise. It clearly could have been better, but when you win, it doesn't matter. I'm hoping for consistency in terms of execution. Granted, that's not always going to, you know, I'm, I'm not saying like, oh, if, well, if Nova plays a perfect game, then they'll probably beat Kansas which is very much possible, but I just want to see Nova be more stable. You know, let's not have these, let's not walk into every game and be like, oh, well, yeah, we know it's this team, Kansas, or, oh, yeah, well, we know it's this team, Morgan State, but you never know what you're going to get from Nova. You never know. You never know. I just want things to be more stabilized, and and I hope that, you know, with all that, that comes with cohesion, that comes with chemistry, and hopefully it gets all settled in in time for Big East play. Yeah, I agree with you there. That's kind of just coincides with what I was saying before. It's been a very up and down year so far, and I just hope it levels out, and it levels out to the point where they then they start to improve. And I hope he doesn't level out, and then they go, they they go down. So yeah. consistency, yeah, that that's another that's another good option there. So next up for the Cats is a trip into the fog on Saturday at twelve noon. Big game against the number one ranked Jayhawks. They haven't looked as hot. In a couple of their recent games, just looking at the New Mexico State game and Sanford games specifically, but Allen Fieldhouse remains a very tough place to play. As we talked about earlier in the season, only two teams have beaten Kansas at home in non-conference play over the last 10 years, and that's San Diego State and Arizona State. Right now, the Jayhawks are undefeated at 8-0. They got a, a few good guys, but I'll tell you one thing that we can definitely rest our hat on we're not going to have to see Yudoka as a bookie. He's gone for a while. Reports, some reports say until early January due to a high ankle sprain that he sustained during the Wofford game. But Chris, that's a big break from Nova. You know, we'll take whatever we can get. But who else should we watch out for on this Kansas team? Who are some other guys to look out for? One of the guys is Dedrick Lawson. He's an absolute monster. He actually came from Memphis. He's a Memphis transfer. And he's doing well in his first year back in action. He's averaging a double-double so far in the year. 
19.1 points per game and 10.6 rebounds per game. He's a tough six foot nine forward that has a strong interior scoring presence. He has a, he, he gets great positioning. He's very physical and he can finish over either shoulder and has a variety of post moves, not easy to guard. So look out for him underneath DCR and Eric Pascal are going to have their hands full to at least start the game. And if Sam, if they want to go small, even Samuels as well. And then, I think the big name and everyone's kind of been uh, hopping on is uh, Gerald Vick. And <laughs> you must have listened to the podcast because uh, Eugene said he well, wasn't that impressive of a player in the uh, season preview series. And yeah, the, of course, you know, SNN curse right over that and be, he magically becomes good. Averaging over 16 points a game. And he's also shooting at 52% from the field overall. But then it gets even better when you go from beyond the arc. 55.8%. He can he can do it all. Great shooter, great scorer. And he he's really he was really impressive in the NIT season tip off. I mean, I know you got to witness that over Thanksgiving weekend. You can attest to how good he was. I mean, I just saw some highlights from from those games and he looked absolutely impressive. Yeah, he totally stood out to me when I was covering that those couple of games over there in Brooklyn. He was Absolutely fantastic, and I was like, man, he was just so average to to slightly overrated last year and the year before that, and then now this year he's averaging a solid 16, really shoots the ball very well, has a lightning-fast release now. I don't know what he changed, but clearly his numbers are skyrocketing up there. And then aside from them, you got the new guys coming in. You got Devin Dotson. He, he was one of their five-star incoming frosh. He's coming along pretty well. He's averaging in double figures, but he is just really impressive defensively. He absolutely locked down Marcus Howard in the second half of that Marquette-Kansas game in the NIT season tip-off. And that was a game in which Kansas was losing for a good chunk of the game until they started off the second half with a 23-0 run. And that was a big reason was because of the way that Dotson played on Howard, just shutting him down not letting him get comfortable, not letting him be able to set other people up. He just did such a great job of just locking him down. And as we know with Marquette, Howard is their main guy. And once he wasn't feeling it, the whole thing just kind of fell apart from there. And then there's there's the other five-star freshman, that's Quentin Grimes. He's cooled off since that 21-point season opener performance against Michigan State. He hasn't come anywhere near that, but... He's still capable of that big game, especially if he can get those shots to fall. You know, there's no Azubuki, which is a very, very big load off of Nova's shoulders. But there's still a lot of different weapons on this team, and they're still very dangerous. And they're definitely hell-bent on revenge. Yeah, I kind of forgot about the revenge factor, uh, you know, with all the turmoil going on in Nova Nation here. But to be fair, I think a lot of the roster is turned over on both sides, so it might not be as a uh, big of a storyline as, as as much as I would have liked it as a fan. You know, the whole revenge thing, like that's actually a pretty cool thing to talk about, but I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like – I mean, there, there are obviously some leftovers, but I, it's not, you know, the main cast, I feel like. Yeah, I think it's more so for the fans. Those Those Kansas fans are definitely still salty. Oh, yeah, especially after the past two years. And if you want to go for the Battle for Atlantis tournament too, if you really want to go that far back. So yeah, they 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 want to get a win, and it's at their home court, and it's at their home court where they rarely lose at a conference. So it's uh it's gonna be a tough one. You touched upon it a little bit. Some of the names, some of the faces have changed. New guys in new spots. 
We know how this game looked last year. It was a three-point shooting showcase for Nova. How do you think this game will look this year? I'm not talking about so much results yet, but I'm talking X's and O's strategy-wise. What should we expect both teams to kind of lean on in terms of style and approach? I feel like they're still going to do the, you know, they're still going to do the shooting off sheet, sleep in the streets. The problem is, is that you don't have the guys from last year. You don't have Dante, Jalen, Mikhail to, to knock them all down. Amari Spellman, who made Azubuki completely useless for Kansas last year in the Final Four. So you're not going to have the, the type of talent out there, obviously. But I still think they kind of go with the heavy threes. It hasn't shown any signs of slowing down. They, they're very gung-ho on it. It's how they've been operating for years. I think that's what they're going to do. And it would be it's going to be tough to go inside even without Asabuki. I mean, Lawson's pretty damn good under there. So it's, it's going to be tough. But I, I think I just hope that they kind of adjust and, and look at the tape from Penn and say, you know, maybe we can run the same offense, but let's fix it up on the defense. And I think if DCR can handle his own against Lawson or if Pascal's guarding him, they, they can hold his own. I would like to see Samuels out there go small because maybe you can kind of get that pseudo Amari Spellman effect. I'm not saying it's anything like it, but if you go small and you have him at the five, it can it could work. I think it's been working the past few games and we really didn't get to see much of it at Penn because of the foul trouble. But I think if you go with Samuels at five, I, I would like that. I would like to see, you know, him out there shooting some threes because he, the way he's been playing, I think you should keep rolling with him. So I think they should go a little bit smaller. I, I don't know about you. What, what do you think? I'm just more terrified of the way that Nova is going to defend these guys. Yeah, yeah, it, it's going to be a disaster defensively, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like in the upper season preview show, I said like this was the game that I feared everyone's going to lose their minds and everyone's going to miss assignments left and right because it's in a loud building and a tough environment. But they've been doing that against freaking Penn with and that the freaking Palestra. So who know who knows what can happen here. So prediction wise, what do you expect? Who do you think will win? I'm not asking for exact scores, but what do you think that margin of victory is gonna look like? I gotta say, <laughs> I'm being completely honest here. Beginning of the week, if you had me on Tuesday, I would have said that. I, I think they could have had a shot here to win. Really convinced myself over the past weekend that, eh, you know, I feel like they can go in there because Kansas was struggling a bit. I know they just had that tough game against New Mexico State. I mean, they've had a couple of overtime games, one against Stanford, one against Tennessee. I mean, obviously, Tennessee's very good. Stanford, not so much. And Marquette gave them a game, too. And Marquette didn't, if Marquette could have just scored for like once in a 10 minute stretch, they probably would have, they could have. They could have beaten them. So yeah, I had convinced myself earlier in the week that they could have won. They should have. They could have won at the fog. But now, confidence is at all time low. I I don't think they they pull this one out. Sorry. I, I I would love to see them go in there and win. It would be so awesome. It'd be an ultimate troll job after losing a pen. But it's it's gonna be tough. Yeah, I think the Palestra was a nice appetizer in terms of playing in a hostile environment. But this is about to be Palestra times five in terms of the talent, the opposing talent, and the terms of hostility and crowd and the nature and the environment. I think Nova will probably hang in there, and then Kansas will probably pull away. I, this is just going to be such a really tough game. Azubuki being gone is a, is a big help for Nova, but right now this team just seems 
not there yet. It's just not there yet. It's one year away, maybe, from being Nova's day, but just not right now. And I'm not saying this as a knee-jerk reaction to what happened in the Penn game. I think, like you, I was I was trying to convince myself that this was a very winnable game. And when I saw exactly what Marquette was doing to Kansas, they were shooting up at will. Guys were wide open left and right. Kansas struggled to defend slip screens. It looked exactly like Nova versus Penn, but that was only for one half. And Marquette was just destroying them until they forgot how to play basketball at all. I think Nova's going to have a tough game. I think they lose by double digits. I don't think it gets ugly, though. I know that that's been going around, but I don't think it'll be ugly. Yeah, I I mean, I don't know. If they go in there and like shoot the lights out, I think that's probably their only chance of winning. They're going to have to just absolutely shoot the lights out because I, I don't see it, the defense correcting itself in time. But if it does magically, then, hey, you know, maybe they do win. But I doubt it. If you're not going to be there in Kansas, it will be on at 12 p.m. here Eastern time on ESPN. I'll be watching. I'm sure you'll be watching, and hopefully I won't be crying. But I am still pumped for this game. I am still very excited. It's always fun to play like a quote-unquote big-name team. And now especially the roles reversed. Now we're going against the number one, and we're trying to take them down. But for now, it's that time of the day where we pop open the mailbag. We answer your questions. All of our questions today seem to be under one theme. So this might just become the Javon Quinterly mailbag session. But as always, you can tweet us, send us your questions at SONNPod, and we'll talk about it on the show. This first question is from Brutus. How long before Quinterly transfers? Now, this we were asked this last week, <laughs> and I said, don't make yeah, me sad. But now, Tuesday made me really sad. So, Chris... I'll give this first one to you. I'd like to say that the semester he's gone, but I'm going to be a little positive here because I'm a little down on the team and down on this Kansas game. I, I think he's, he toughs it out. I think everything, hopefully, pray to God, will resolve itself and he, he stays put. Not looking likely, but uh, I, I think he stays put. But if, you, if he is going to transfer, I say semester's end. Yeah, my, my mind says if you were to leave, it would definitely be in the coming weeks. But my heart says, please, JQ, just just wait. Just wait. Just wait it out one more year. Just give it one more year. You, Brian Antoine, oh, it's going to be a great time. It's going to be a great time. It, it'll be wonderful. Now, this next one is from Jorge Quinones. I think that's how it's pronounced. Sorry, Jorge, if I totally butchered that, but I'm pretty sure it's Quinones. Can you confirm if the hacker is six feet tall, has quick moves, and is from the Jersey area? Now, for those of you who do not know or are not on Instagram or have stayed away from social media since Tuesday because you chose to do the healthy route in dealing with this pen loss, this whole Javon Cornelly situation has gotten even more wilder. Now, so there was a game against Penn, Nova lost, and for those of you who missed it, Shortly after the game, he let the whole world know on an Instagram story that said nothing else but was my second choice for a reason. Now, he didn't directly name anything, but it's pretty obvious he's talking about Nova. A bit after that, the story was deleted. About an hour later in the late night. See, this is what we were doing at VU Hoops on 
Tuesday night. We were so sad about the pen game that we were literally tracking this one guy's social media habits. We were up until like 1.30 in the morning speculating. And now in the odd hours, mysterious pictures, spam looking messages started popping up on his Instagram account. And it looked like he was hacked. As of yesterday morning, his official account was deleted. And then by the afternoon, he now has a new private personal Instagram that has about 449,000, like 800 less followers. Now, this has just been such a weird, weird, weird situation. First off, to answer Jorge's question, are you team JQ got hacked or this is team cover up? Yeah, I've been back and forth on this for uh, for a while. And I, I don't think he got hacked. But I am of the belief, and I kind of subscribe to the fact that I think his Instagram account has other people who have access to it. And I think somebody got, you know, onto the account, posted that story, the picture of the story, and uh, yeah, it went from there. Now, I, I, the reason why I think that it's because it, it seemed that that post went up pretty quickly, like from right after the game. And I saw something floating around Twitter uh, yesterday that uh, from Daniel Jeffo that they, he never got his phone back that quickly, like after a game. So that's why I kind of think that someone else kind of logged on and did that whole thing. But at the same time, it's like it's it's still horrific horrific look for you oh absolutely horrible optics especially i'm not sure how you walk into your locker room the next day and be like oh sorry guys it was just a hack it wasn't me but i was very much surprised with ochefu's response to the whole thing and his take on it but yeah i was on the whole thing where i was like okay that was that was bad optics that was a, definitely a dumb thing to say i totally get where he's coming from i mean I totally understand you're a competitive athlete. First of all, you're there to compete. You don't sign up for things to sit aside. Now, with all that, when he put that story up and that was that was deleted, but then the spam messages weren't deleted, I was sitting there thinking, this is a horrible excuse. <laughs> like, don't do this. Please stop. <laughs> but then when Daniel Ochefu chimed in, I was like, wait a second. He might have just changed my whole mind on this. Ochefu, for those of you who missed it, he had a couple tweets in regard to it. He said, in 2012, Villanova lost to Columbia at home by 20 with a veteran-led team. Use that L as a lesson every year from there on out. Be a real fan, support your team, and stop worrying about a 19-year-old's Instagram after a close loss in a hostile environment with our young team. Then after that, he tweeted, like, let's get mad about the lost people. Like, if you want to get for real. We never got our phones back that fast after the game. So you really think he posted that when Jay was addressing the team in the locker room after a loss? So when I seen it, I immediately was like, and then he posted the thinking face. For those of you who may have forgotten, Nova does do that thing where they completely confiscate all your electronics before the game and you get it after. Not just before the game, I think it's the, the entire day before. So yeah, Ochefu dropping those little nuggets. Uh, you know, I was sat there the whole time thinking, okay, JQ, horrible optics, very dumb post, not wise. And then this cover-up attempt, I was like, okay, this is also pretty sad. But then when Ochefu dropped that, I was like, ooh, 
Maybe he's onto something, and the story continues to develop. I'm with Daniel on this, man. Like, yeah, like I said, I, I, I believe that someone got access to it, did something just to stir the pot, just to get the, just to get him talked about, whatever it may be. And you know, even if he did do it, like I get it. Like I get that you're really frustrated and all. I, I really, I really do. Like you didn't, you, like you said, you didn't sign up for just to sit on the bench. 99% of the game like he did the other night. It it's it has probably hasn't been that fun for him and it, it's probably been a tough adjustment period especially since he was a star in, in New Jersey. You know, playing every minute and doing all this jelly fam stuff. It it, it, must, it must be tough for him especially at 19 years old. I mean, I'm sure me and you we can go back to our Instagrams and our Twitter accounts and find stuff that we posted our freshman year of college and just absolutely cringe at it. it it's not pretty. It's, but you know, he's 19, still learning all, you know, I get it, but yeah, we gotta, I, I do feel that as a fan base, gotta calm down just a bit on the whole thing. Yeah. I will say, you know, I, it, it definitely is tough for JQ. I can sympathize with JQ. And I also think the whole Jay Wright, you know, trust Jay Wright and he's teaching him a lesson. I think you can be a part of one and two. I think you'd be a part of both camps for, for JQ. You know, at the end of the day, you are a freshman. You're adjusting to living away from home. You go from being the guy to adjusting and not being the guy and being more of a supplementary guy, figuring out your place. You see your other old friends and classmates and teammates. They're balling out. You look at Nas Reed. He's tearing it up at LSU. Luther Muhammad, couple, you know, you just look around college basketball and his friends are there. And you just look at it and you start to think, man, like everyone else is doing this, this and this. And I'm just kind of here on the bench. Now, granted, you know, you, you should never get playing time because people feel bad for you. That's not how that works. But I do understand JQ's frustration. It's I think it's completely valid. And granted, the way that he maybe the way he's handling dealt with them. The yeah, the day yeah. the way he dealt with it has not been the smartest. It hasn't been the greatest execution or the greatest optics. At the end of the day, he is a well now he's 20, but he is still a freshman. I mean, I he's only been in college for like four months. You know, I know I personally adjusted to college very fine right off the bat, but I understand that there are people who didn't right off the bat. Or there were people who had a hard time or felt homesick or whatnot. And but unfortunately for JQ, he had to deal with all that. Then plus being a point guard on a three-time national champion, two out of the last three years, following the footsteps of Jalen Brunson. The biggest crime he's committed is that he is not Jalen Brunson right out of the gate. And because of this, there's been a whole lot of speculation. There's been a whole lot of rumors. This is when, you know, at the end of the day, no one is truly an insider. We don't know what's going on behind closed doors. And when Daniel Ochefu is tweeting something like that, I take his word over anyone. Honestly. Yeah, if there's anyone who knows what that locker room's about and how, you know, going from nothing to to champion within four four year stretch, it's it's him. He knows it all. And I probably trust his word more than anybody else's really. So yeah, I, let's listen to what, you know, the former players have to say. Kind of go from that. I understand everyone's frustrations with JQ and I understand JQ's frustrations. I think we just gotta we just gotta calm down a bit in general. Like like Daniel said, nineteen year old. I know he's twenty, but nineteen year old posting on Instagram and everyone's freaking out over it over the loss after a loss. And 
I get why we're freaking out over it, and I get why if he did post it, he posted it. But it became such a hot topic that like everybody was talking about it. Like national media, national college basketball media was talking about it. Kind of took a, a mind of its own over the past uh, 24 hours. But I think we should just step back from the ledge and just just kind of chill. And you know, if he's got if he leaves, then he leaves, and there's nothing we can do about it. And we can contemplate what if from for the rest of the year. But if he stays through it, we got to support him and we got to hope that he gets on the court and performs like the way he was in high school. I will wrap things up with this one last bit before we close the show. Now, there are a lot of comments basically crucifying JQ, saying that he should go. He's a disgrace. I'll pack his bags for him, blah, blah, blah. Now, JQ has had zero to do with the three losses, but he's getting all this stuff because Nova's not so hot right now. He hasn't actually done anything disgraceful on the court to contribute to the losing. Like, granted, that what he did is definitely going to hurt his bond between him and his teammates. But you had a guy, you know, let's not forget, Josh Hart tripped Angel Delgado and Adamakong Sue stomped him. And that gets completely overlooked because, one, he became a champion and he learned from that. But... When that happened, it wasn't like they're like, "Oh my God, look at this sophomore! He's he. This isn't Nova basketball. What? Why is he stomping on him? Jay Wright needs to get him out of there." Blah blah blah. No, he he learned from that. One games, one championships, easily forgiven, and that is, I feel like, is a very, very overlooked part of the Josh Hart career. Great because there were so many highlights, but you know, I I just don't think it's a fair judge of character that many people are judging JQ, crucifying him all over. Most of it is rumor and speculation because we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. There's only so many things. Now, this IG story was bad, but he didn't go out there and stomp a guy on national TV. And if he were to stay, win championships, just like I said after the whole Arizona bribery thing, if he were to stay, become a winner, buy into the system, win games, win championships, everyone would forget about this. and we would all be pro JQ again, just like we were when he decommitted from Arizona and went to Nova. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head there. I, I completely agree with you. If he goes, he goes, but if he doesn't, I'm still, I'm still here for him, but that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the state of the Nova nation. Please subscribe. If you haven't already to the podcast, you could do so via iTunes, Apple podcast, Podomatic, Google play or Spotify. Please check back at viewhoops.com for all of your Villanova sports news. Also, you can follow View Hoops on social media at View Hoops, and that's good for Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at eRepay5. And you can follow me, Chris Stanzial, at the Stansman on Twitter. Nova Nation, I hope you all have a much better Thursday than it was the last couple of days. Still plenty of basketball left. We're not even halfway through the season. Go Cats.